Transcripts for this week's episodes are provided by Starburst. Please do check out their Data Mesh Resource Center as linked in the show notes. Thanks. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP of Data Mesh Consulting Services at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading sponsor for Trino, the open source project, and Jamak's Data Mesh book, delivering data-driven value at scale. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Doran Porat, a data infrastructure leader at the SaaS company Yatpo. Ask Doran to be on to discuss general topics around building a data platform, especially the process of iterating from the start and the ever constant build versus buy decisions. To start, I'll give you some of her conclusions. Number one, be kind to yourself when you make mistakes. It's worse to stagnate, so don't be afraid of change in making choices. You can change those choices. <laughs> Number two, build versus buy is always tough, but don't let your ego get in the way and push you towards building everything. Number three, if you do buy, build a close relationship with your vendors to help influence the roadmap and have an outlet if you are having issues. Having that backstop really can help. Number four, a data platform team's job is to drive usage, as usage means creating value. Drive towards that and set your KPIs around platform usage. Don't focus so much on kind of the cool tech. <laughs> Number five, there will likely be many different types of consumers of your data platform. Work to improve slash optimize the user experience for multiple different types of people, multiple different types of users. As mentioned, Doran talked about the general job of a data platform team is to drive usage because that usage means creating that value. Serving critical needs for users is crucial to driving adoption and focus the user experience on the business logic. No matter how cool the tech is, a data platform team's job isn't to expose that kind of cool tech to users. 
and your team's KPIs should reflect usage. However, there are all kinds of usage on both the consumer and producer side that you need to serve. So don't create a one-size-fits-all experience. This is why many guests have talked about having multiple platforms that interoperate as part of kind of their broad data platform, that there are multiple kind of mini platforms within that platform framework. As many guests have said, if your data platform isn't easy to adopt, no one will want to use it. (laughs) Your data platform should make things fun and casual to do. There needs to be a big focus on enabling data testing, including staging environments for data. I think this was a really good point by Theron. Theron is a technologist at heart. So for each decision, she instinctively wants to build instead of buy. At the start of building out the data platform for Yotpo, that was typically her decision. But as the demands for more and more capabilities from the platform, the increasing ubiquity and quality slash scalability of as-a-service offerings and the growing need to drive usage and developer happiness instead of manage cool tech, she started to consume more and more managed services. One point Theron made, which often feels obvious at the high level, but really isn't when you are building out the platform is that the vendors in the long run can often better serve your needs because they have a whole lot of people focused specifically on making what you use better. When you make the initial build versus buy decision, you actually might be better able to serve your initial needs by building better extensibility. So this can all feel kind of counterintuitive. You need to be able to make bets on the vendors getting to where you need them to. And sometimes those bets don't pay off either, and that's okay. To up the chance of making those bets pay off, Doran recommends building relationships with your vendors to influence their roadmap and and to also be able to get help when, when necessary. Duran strongly recommends putting together a framework for evaluating build versus buy decisions. That way you can really have some consistency in the way that you're thinking about things and iterate on how you think about things rather than kind of bouncing from decision to decision. Some of the factors she considers are how extensible is the offering? Is this taking on too many challenges in one solution? She really isn't a fan of the big black box that just does a whole bunch of things for you. You know, another one is cost and the the cost of later migration to or from a managed service, open source compatibility, et cetera. One thing Doran talked about that many teams seem to struggle with is the ego hit to saying someone else managing a service we use will drive more value. That's always tough, but it needs to be addressed and really thought about. Doran talked about the strong need to drive your platform forward, not just be responsive. Provide a roadmap, set time aside for innovation, etc. So you want to think about being ahead of where your customer needs, your consumer needs are going to be. So that way you can drive your platform forward instead of just responding to requests. Currently, Doran is seeing the difficulty of running proof of concepts is actually increasing. It often takes more than a few weeks to really integrate a new service into the platform. So you might not know what the real value is. And she recommends that if you don't have the team size, go for the bigger black box offers offerings. You won't have to integrate nearly as much together manually. Ron also made the point of there is uh, a difference between learning to leverage a tool and operate it. 
you don't you want to make sure you build out the knowledge ar- around leveraging a tool whether you are operating it yourself or not it, it's an interesting balance when you build that you don't focus too much on one or the other between learning to operate it and learning to actually use it for the purposes that you're trying to do uh, an interesting insight is that it takes about two years to fully migrate 80% of workloads off a legacy data platform to a new one. There's always some long tail stuff that is harder to move. So you do want to make sure you, you think through your decisions and not cause thrash. I know a lot of the modern data stack talk is about, uh, I can go out there and I can get this tool and I can get up and running in, in you know minutes or hours instead of uh, weeks or months. And that's great, but... <laughs> You can really lock yourself into that that decision and you can create a lot of technical debt for yourself. So think through your decisions and really decide if this is something you want to make a bet on and then also make that that build versus buy bet as well. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for this episode today. I've got uh, Doran Parat here, who is the data infrastructure leader at Yachtpo. If people aren't familiar, Yachtpo's put out uh, a few different blog posts about um, what they're doing around data mesh and their their data platform. So very excited to, to go into this, especially a lot of people are really, really struggling with what is part of the data platform, what isn't, like, how do you think about that governance? How do you make it so that there is actual self-serve build versus buy? Like, that is something where, you know, Jamak and Sina Jahan had done a, um, a webinar, and so many of the things that they said was just, we had to build this, we had to build this, we had to build this. So, like, we want to get to a place where people can get to <laughs> buying when it makes sense and that it's it's lower friction. And so I think thinking about how to build the data platform in general and then especially applying it to data mesh is going to be very, very helpful for a lot of people out there. So this is uh, a really, really going to be a, a very useful episode, I think. And so um, I'm very excited uh, with that. If you wouldn't mind giving people a bit of uh, background on yourself and then we can jump into the topic at hand. Yeah, sure. So also excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm Doron. I'm, uh, I work at Yalpo for quite a while now. It's been around six years now. Um, maybe two, two sentences about Yalpo. So um, Yalpo is a SaaS B2B company, and we're bu- building uh, an e-commerce platform uh, for, for helping uh, e-commerce sites to do better marketing uh, in general. What I do in Yapo for the past six years is um, build and manage and enhance our data platform. And like you said, I think that um, data mesh kind of like uh, uh, like stormed into our lives while we were at the midst of, of creating this self-service platform without even knowing how to name it exactly. But going through the... Um, like the basics of, of uh, data mesh, it really echoed 
to what like I believe in and what we believe in. Um, so yeah, I can really, I can really relate to, to what you said. And, uh, and, and I'm super excited to talk about where theory and, and like actual work comes together. <laughs> and I think that's been a, a, a common thing for a lot of people of, uh, data mesh was kind of making it a cohesive, uh, set of wording around it. So everybody was on the same page and that it was like, okay, instead of this kind of nebulous thing of here are the 15 things that we're trying to tackle and we're trying to do it this one piece in this way, it's like, okay, we do have to kind of make it a cohesive strategy together. So I think you're, 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 you're not the first person. I think you're probably of the people implementing 50 or 60% have said that. Exact same yeah. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think I mentioned this. So, um, I once wrote a blog post about about our data platform, and I, I think one of the headers was something like, "Oh, apparently this is this is what this this is what they call a data mesh." And and I think this is exactly like the the aha moment that you have. It's like, oh, that that's what we were doing all, all this time, actually. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it, putting the name to it and and putting some framework around it and putting wording so other people can kind of that that don't have the exact uh, same experience can really uh, move in and, and understand what you're trying to do yeah. and, and what you're trying to achieve. So, um, so if we, uh, you know, we've got a lot of different topics that we're looking at, at uh, jumping into, but I think the the build versus buy when you're building out a platform, you know, if you can tell people a little bit about your story of what you've built out, how you've been approaching those decisions on, on, uh, a basis and kind of, you know, we talked about this a little bit of that it's okay to make decisions that end up not being the the best uh, in the long run because it's it's okay and that you set yourself up to succeed despite yeah <laughs> not having all the perfect information. So I think that's really helpful advice. Um, okay, so so good topic. I think um, I was like along the years doing what I do and the build versus buy uh, thing really bothered me because I think that like initially when we start, when we started off, we wanted to do everything by ourselves and, and we started off doing everything by ourselves. We managed our own spark clusters. Um, we like, we, we, we used a lot of open source technologies. We, we wrote open source ourselves, uh, but we didn't really want to use any managed services except for like Amazon, right? And then, um, but with time, as as like requirements became more like urgent, and people wanted more and more stuff from the data platform, and we had more than we can like manage and handle. And and I'm talking about multiple services and multiple contexts. Well, it turns out that like vendors can do stuff that you can do by yourself but they have like whole R&D teams investing in this product and making it the best there is so obviously you can get better service of, for several components in your in your architecture uh using using uh off the shelf software but i think that like there is a line that needs to be you have to set for yourself a set of criteria that tells you like when you should buy and when you should build. And first of all, the way we architected the platform is that components are pretty like set aside from each other. That means that I would usually rather not go for a managed solution that will encapsulate a big part 
of my data platform and turn it into this black box. It's just not the way we work. Um, so we divide the platform into different functionalities, and then I can choose whether I want to turn this functionality or another into a managed service. And and I think it, it's important to keep the, the architecture this way because that way you don't get like really vendor locked in a way that if something changes in the agreement or, or in the technological environment or in the requirements, I, I, I can I can quit, right? I can leave and I'm not stuck with this. And, and I usually have a way out. I have a plan B or I can imagine like a different solution for whatever service I'm consuming from, from this vendor. Um, and it's also about, I think, considerations like developer happiness, happiness, like should we put into every piece of the architecture all this work? And sometimes it's just not that interesting or, or not that like um, important for the knowledge that we, sh- that we have. And, 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 you know, data engineers, data infra engineers have a lot of different contexts to handle. So. I think it's a mixture of all all of these um consider like all of these um considerations to to think about when you decide whether to build or buy. Yeah, and I think one of the things that you talked about is that um I can't remember exactly what it's it's called. I think it's anti-corruption layer when you think about um in microservices that to prevent coupling, right? Like you kind of have to prevent coupling relative to uh, any vendors, right? That your success is not coupled exactly. to that vendor. So that way you're, but, but it's easier said than done. And, you know, um, I think the other issue that a lot of people bring up is that a lot of times you're like, okay, I've got this set of problems that are kind of all intertwined with each other. And I've got maybe five of these problems and each of the vendors solves two of them well one of them okay and might not even address the other two or the other two they they don't really address them in a way that's useful at all and none of the things are really extensible so like finding those vendors that understand that they can't do everything up front and that they're extensible to enable you to solve problems on your own or to to patch it with other things yeah, as well. Yeah, completely right. I think that extensibility is one of the key factors that I'm looking for when when looking into to vendors. And I must say that like every every vendor or every like software incorporated in, in, in the data platform and the infrastructure that we serve or we use internally, um, we all always had a lot of work around it to to make it work with our current stack and to integrate it with other parts of the system. So extensibility is a must for for us uh for example uh, i think the bigger the solutions you 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 go for the, the less extensible they are usually because they like host the whole thing and um yeah that's that's not really the direction we're going for and i think the build versus buy this is a decision that i meet like almost every day i think um it's even you know we're working with databricks for for our ad hoc service. I haven't talked about the platform at all, but basically just like in a nutshell. So it's it's very data lake centric. It's all all around the data lake. Uh, and we were hosting the data lake in S3 per K files. And um, and we usually use Spark as our um, like digestion engine and the query engine on top of the data lake. We use different technologies to ingest data and not just Spark, um, but usually to to write pipelines 
to stream or to batch uh, data uh, in and from the data lake and, and other inputs or outputs, we would usually use Spark. And the ad hoc access to the data lake is done uh, via Databricks notebooks. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we use Databricks and we love Databricks and, and, and they have Photon and, and it's like super Spark, right? It's, it, it's, 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 very, uh, it's very powerful. And we manage our own Spark clusters and we spend so much time on, on managing those uh, clusters and, and configuring and op- optimizing Spark jobs. And, and when you end up running a job on Databricks sometimes and, and it's performing better than it did on, on your own Spark cluster, then you start wondering, like, should I, <laughs> should I go for it? Like, use, like replace my, my Spark infrastructure and, and start using managed clusters and, 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 you know, it's even about like developable egos, right? Because we build this infrastructure and sometimes it's very hard to let go and say goodbye. And like, what does this mean? If, if like, if, if I stop managing my own clusters, what, 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 what does it say about me? And I think that today, because once I was on that side of the spectrum, like, what does it mean if we were already like just like technicians, like uh, data software technicians, like operating software or, but now I think that putting ego aside, we have so many things to do. We have so much work ahead of us and we have such a rich and and and, and I'm so curious about like the roadmap and, and the cool things that we're going to do that if I make some more room for, for me and my team to to focus on other stuff, that, that's a good thing. And and I, I can let go. I, I can I can let go of stuff if I feel secure enough to know that time comes and I need to replace this technology with something else. I'm able to do so, uh, that we, we understand the technology that we're using, then, then yeah, sometimes it's, it's not such a hard decision to make. Yeah. And I think it's, it's this weird thing of, um, at the start, you, people always kind of want to build because it's like, well, this thing's not that complicated, so we can just build it. And then it starts to become more and more complicated. And then it's like, well, we would love to buy, but we've already got everything kind of done in our own way. So that buy becomes a, a bigger and bigger cost to move to that, to do that, that change. And so, you know, I, I think it's, it's useful to exactly what you talked about, put that, that kind of hubris and that ego aside and say, is this the value add that, that we care about? Like what, what adds the most value to our platform? Is it that we manage our, our sparks or, you know, I mean, I'm coming from, with Datastax stuff, the Apache Cassandra side, and you know, Datastax finally released a, a viable uh, managed Cassandra thing that's you know serverless and all this stuff. And but there are so many people that are like, well, we've been managing our clusters for you know seven, eight, ten years or whatever. Why would we move? And it's like, well, is it value add to be doing that or? And, and there is that, that cost decision, right? Like once you get to a certain scale, it, it is far more, it's the same thing as using cloud versus your own data centers. And, you know, I think it was Dropbox or whatever that saved this huge amount of money by going back to their own data centers, but they have a ton more risk. They have a ton more, you know, potential issues. They don't have the same flexibility and, and, and agility from being able to easily drop in services because <laughs> there are things that just aren't even available for them and, and all of that. So I think, I think you're right. And there's, there's, there's one more thing around, you talked about Dropbox, right. And like, also like 
Meta and Google and well, Google's not a good example, but like um, big, big, big companies with huge infrastructure teams, they can host their own stuff and they can work like on-prem or, or like on the, on the private cloud. But like my team were, were like seven seven people, six, seven people all together. So there is also a limit to like how far you can push the, uh, and I think like we achieved tons in, in the time, like since we started this data platform, we built so many, so many, so many tooling and we have so many applications running on top of, of, of what we've done. Um, but eventually, yeah, you have to face it. Like how many, how many working hands you have, right. How many resources you have and how much you can achieve. And, and like you said, it's, it, we should be very impact driven. It's very, I think it's very easy, especially in the data domain where you kind of isolated from the rest of the R&D, doing your own thing, working on data infrastructure, just doing cool stuff because you enjoy it and the technology is so interesting. But eventually, if you don't bring enough value and, and you don't make enough impact, then it's it's just not worth it. So I'm not saying like go all in for for managed services and 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 like our platform does not look like this but i'm saying that it's really okay to opt for managed sometimes it it just really makes sense sometimes yeah there there was an episode uh recently with uh, Sadie Martin and and she was talking about bringing the product mindset to data and thinking about how do you even measure whether it was a good decision to build versus buy or to go down this road and measuring that impact because that that's exactly your you know it's kind of a a thing with the world of capitalism but we we need to abstract that a little bit away relative to people versus you know your role but your role in the company is to add value right so we need to Think about how we add the most value, and 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 is that that you're going to you know I talk to a lot of people who they spend thirty percent of their time managing this technology, and it's like okay, thirty percent of your time from a salary perspective, if that means that it's um, it's fifty thousand more to use a managed service, if you're getting paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, then it's it's break even. But really, your time is probably more valuable than that. So if it's $100,000 a year, it's probably still more valuable to go to that managed service because you can have so much more impact and drive so much more value than do it. So it's, it's just this, this interesting math. And, and I don't have a perfect thing. And, and certain companies just don't have budget where it doesn't matter if it would be right. much more impactful if you don't have the budget to do it. But, but I think what, what you're talking about is, is especially important to think about the longer term of setting yourself up that, you know, for your first five data products, maybe you don't need managed. But when you start to think about if you're a large company and you're going to do 400, 500, 1,000, 2,000 data products, do you really want to be doing the, <laughs> the management for each of these yourself? Or do you want to be creating that kind of the value add and that developer experience it it doesn't it doesn't really scale and and it also has to do with how how like the data teams or how how does the data group looks like i'm I'm talking about data infra and like some some companies have their own like uh, dedicated teams per some some uh vertical within the platform right 
they have their mm-hmm. like ingestion team and transformation team and the governance team and today we don't work like that and and honestly I can't say if it's it's like a good paradigm that I would necessarily recommend people but I do think it's the most interesting paradigm to work by because you get this holistic view on top of like the whole data platform and use cases and like different usages and different services it's much more hectic right and it's very very hard but in this constellation it's even harder to work with like many 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 self-managed services um because you have so many so many like so much knowledge you have to to you have to have in in order to in order to get by and also you talked about how to measure the um, the uh, the value in, in like going for a, uh, a managed service. I, I can share that. I think it was two and a half years ago. I, I think so. Uh, we were working with the uh, Apache Hoodie uh, for uh, the merge operation into the data lake um, from from our CDC and uh, from our CDC uh, uh, tables from CDC uh, Kafka topics and. Uh, it didn't really scale because it cost a lot of money and uh, we didn't, we couldn't get the the data freshness that we wanted to get to. We want, we had this goal of getting to, you know, streaming under five minutes, which is not streaming, but let's say it is. Uh, and and we, we just, we just couldn't get there um, for like tiny, small tables. We could, but for the bigger table that I can't, I can't, I don't want to even share how long it took <laughs> to get a batch uh, merged <laughs> into the, to the table. And uh, it was quite easy to run a POC against managed services because we knew like we have these 15 or 20 data, data sources that we're streaming into the data lake. And this is how much they cost. And this is the freshness rate that we have. And then we can compare it to the cost of this managed service and how much will it cost to to stream those tables, and what will the freshness rate be? And the results were amazing. And this is after we spent such a long time implementing Hoodie and learning how it works, and optimizing tables, and playing with the configurations, and endless nights of uh, you know on call. Uh, like putting out fires and, and then, then you go into a managed service and, oh, wow, this works really, really well. We should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, this, this also happens sometimes. Some, although sometimes it's that you know the service so much better that you can do that POC and actually like uh, do it way better because you're like, oh, we know we know where to avoid yeah. the things. But yes, if it's solving your problems, then how, how do you think about the agility, the initial um, time to value uh, when you're thinking about build versus buy and then the, the kind of mid to long term agility, right? Because if you are running it yourself, it's probably easier to migrate more and more off of it. But it's also, you know, your, your time to value, like you said, you have to really, really learn it before, if you have to learn to, to operate it as well as leverage it, um, that operation cost is, is very different and the, the risk is there as well. Um, well, I think that also, as I said before, like when we look into some managed service, we also think about 
what the cost would be in migrating like existing processes into the managed service and what will happen in case we have to migrate out. So it's also something that we're thinking about and, and, and this will like impact our decision uh, whether to go in or whether to go all in for, for a suggested solution. And what I saw like in the past few years when we integrated new services into our platform that it wasn't really plug and play. I mean, maybe it was at the beginning because it, it, yeah, but as the platform gets more and more complicated and we have more and more use cases and technologies, these, these things are, are much harder. And the actual POCs, if once I would like, okay, let's take a week, do a POC and, and yeah, the solutions are getting much more complicated and the use cases get much more complicated and, especially like all kinds of uh, vendors selling products for, for like uh, data lake implementations. No, no two data lake implementations are the same. So if this vendor had like uh, one, two, three successful customers uh, onboarded, it doesn't mean that like the next onboarding uh, uh, would be like pain-free and, and, and easy. So POCs take much longer. And even after we close the deal and we say, okay, this is great potential. This looks good. We will, usually take a few more weeks to two months to integrate uh, the infrastructure uh, into our own platform even before like the actual use cases yeah well and and that's that's where I thought it was kind of interesting that you were saying that you go for smaller scale services when you're thinking about that that you're not thinking about trying to do these all-encompassing black box solutions when those all-encompassing black box solutions mean that you have to do far fewer integrations, it might not That's be right. that you get what you actually want from it, but you're... Yeah, it's, it's called job security, no? I, I think that that's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it, it also has to do with, like, the, the kind of resource that you have, like, in, as part of your, your team, right? Because... If you have a not like your team is not very technical and you don't really have like software developers that are really uh, infrastructure oriented, then then you should probably go for these black box bigger solutions. But if you have like the people to work with with these like putting together all these smaller uh, solutions and and like um, um, separating responsibilities, I don't know how to say it in English, but like making sure that like every piece of the puzzle has its very um uh very clear uh, uh function right the, the one thing or the few things that's supposed to be uh in charge of uh i think it's it's safer for the long run you know for for us as a company to grow with these kind of products because also you know the technology changes all the time and you don't want to get stuck behind right uh, so being like forced to to replace this whole huge whale you have stuck inside of your platform instead of replacing like one piece at a time uh, when, when you want to move into something that's new or cool or, or, or brings you more value, it's easier. Yeah, yeah I think that I think that makes sense. I think especially as you're scaling, thinking about how easy the migration off is. I think you know Oracle is kind of the classic example where people, there are applications that were built on Oracle, you know, 30 years ago, and it's still, they can't get off. Yeah. Like they just can't. That's a nice And so yeah. Oracle raising the price, raising the price, raising the price and, you know, or, or uh, you know, 
trying to say that they're they're doing cloud revenue and stuff when it's literally they just go, hey, um, we're going to give you these. You're going to pay us the same amount of money, but we're going to give you free credits for the cloud stuff, even though you're not going to use them. Like they just do things like that. But it's exactly this. It's exactly this. And now even if we even if we migrate and we start like uh, running our, our, our Spark jobs in production using Databricks and, and not our, our own self-managed Spark clusters, I would not want to lose this ability. Uh, I would not want to lose this knowledge within within the team. You know, it's something that I want to know that I always have this in my pocket. Yeah, I think, I think that's an interesting balance to strike uh, between how much knowledge do we have of how to leverage this versus how this works, right? And that how do you build out both as if, even if you are uh, using managed services? Um, so we talked about just kind of generally building out the, the data platform for data mesh. How do you think about governance? How do you think about that being part of the platform? A lot of people think of governance as people process only. And, and I think you kind of have to make the governance process as streamlined as possible for people. And that includes tooling, but not exposing the raw tooling, exposing, you know, a, a, an experience instead of tooling to, to folks. How, how do you think about that's one that I think people are just really, really struggling with right now? Yeah, I, I think that, uh, first of all, I think that governance is, is like a key factor for, Let's not call it data mesh. Let's call it like the self-service data platform, okay? Uh, which is basically what we do, uh, without giving it like a, a bigger name. Um, and and for for a data platform to be self-service, it has to be observable and it has to be um, reliable, and and it has to be protected. Um, so all of these. Uh, verbs <laughs> apply to to the world of data governance and data governance is a world and as you said good data governance is is implicit and good data, data governance does not require lots and lots of work and and data like good data governance is really hard to find and come up with <laughs> and um <laughs> i think that like like today in, in yapo i think that what i'm personally missing the most in the data platform well not the most we have a few stuff that i want to get done but like good 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 uh data x data a catalog is, is something that i think is 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 very powerful uh uh for like the self-service um um environment we want to create because I'm tired of of having like a data platform where you need like people around you to tell you, yeah, you should use this, and uh, yeah, don't don't do that. That that's that you don't want to go there. I did this once, or where can I find a table or data around whatever? Is is this reliable? No, no, it's it's, it's wrong. Or you have like different metrics of the same names, uh, like around like different uh, calculating different uh, numbers or, or different meanings, or and. And eventually, yeah, it's 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 all all around tooling. We are now investing a lot of time in in actually rebuilding our data lake. Uh, in a side project we're running, uh, we're we're trying to leverage DBT uh, with Spark and a lot of cool stuff that we've built around it, uh, because we think that like collecting metadata throughout the development process uh, and creating lineage and creating. Uh, uh, um, the knowledge base and documentation around data 
from stuff that you can collect during the development process itself is probably the best way to to create this uh, uh, to create this catalog. Um, so yeah, I hope this answers your question. I think. <laughs> Well, I, I think you, you brought up a couple of, of really interesting things there, especially like I've talked a bit about this with um, data discovery and data catalog and stuff. I think people are trying to solve too much of the data discovery ta- side with just tooling instead of tooling plus people process. But a lot of that tooling frustrates the crap out of me because it traps metadata. And so this this is these are your your eight key factors of metadata and this system has five of them this system has three of them this system has two of them and do the the ones that overlap are they perfect overlap or like so I I've been talking about kind of this broadcasting out metadata concept that there should be an API where there's any place that has metadata that other places can go and 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 yeah. grab that metadata so that way you don't have it trapped in every place. And so if somebody does want to even create additional metadata, right, that they don't have to go to, I have to use the catalog versus I have this other process that I like to use. And so it's fine, but it means that I, I don't have to do these multiple panes of glass because multiple panes of glass is a major pain in the ass, right? Like yeah, if you have to go and look in these. Rhymes. Nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's double on pains and rhyming. So <laughs> I think, I think you're right. It's, it's, it's why I really like the concept of like open lineage, for example, because it's kind of naive thinking, even when I talk about this, uh, this new implementation we're running with DBT, it's nice, but like you said, it's it's one solution, and and we have like so many places that can can that can yield metadata, interesting metadata that's that's relevant. And the same goes for pro lineage, and and I think that like the concept of open lineage, where every part of the system can report its lineage into some centralized place, and then some UI that you build, it's not coupled with anything. Can display this this uh, uh, lineage in a way that's formatted like across all of your platform. That makes a lot of sense because, like you said, the the, the ecosystem is so is so complex and 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 it varies so much. And I know that even when we have this DBT project up and running and it's going to be amazing, and I know it is because it already it already looks awesome, but. You know, it's going to take me about two years to migrate, let's say, 80% because you all always have this annoying long tail that's going to keep <laughs> lingering behind uh, forever. So I know I'm going to have like some sort of like service on top of whatever, like the the data met, like the data um, catalog uh, layer the DBT gives me. Uh, I'm going to have an extra layer on top of it to like host all the metadata from all parts of the ecosystem and to to have it all in one place. Um, I think you can't you can't avoid it. And and also you, you talked about overlapping, which I think is one of the biggest pains of of data products today. It's 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 so annoying that you look into like different products from in data data governance. We have like a lot of different fields like you have uh like we said we have access management we have lineage we have catalog and we have uh, 
um, uh, data um, data observability and we have uh, data quality, right? And we have all these. But if you take the tooling around every vertical, it overlaps with all the other verticals. It's it's more like a Venn diagram, right? Where, where everything like overlaps everything. And I hate it. It annoys me. Why do I have to buy this product that has like 30% of this product, which has 20% of this product? And they don't do it the same way. They just do it a little differently. And yeah. <laughs> And they often don't do it well if it's not the focus. No, they don't go well enough, right? And so you go, okay, I'm, I'm going to use this one for this specific uh, exact use case and this for this use case. But but you are paying for stuff that's that's not useful. And that's, that's only going to get worse because of how much money is flooded into these startups. And so it, it is, they're all going to be competing with each other. And then they're going to be, um, the big worry for me is that there's, a lot of these companies that don't play well with others, they're going to make it even harder to play well and that they're going to say, no, we're not going to enable this. And so you kind of have to, to talk to the vendors and, and, and look at how they're actually thinking about how they, they work with people because uh, you, you can lock yourself into somebody that's going to be um, driving down a bad, bad road. So it's it's difficult. But. You know that, like, first of all, I think that all the vendors we work with, we we have like a really close and personal relationship with. It's not like some some service that that I use, and we are like weekly or or constant Slack connection with all of these vendors, uh, talking and like suggesting features and how can we make this work and where are we going with this and. It's a constant like conversation with all of them, and, and for I, I can't imagine it working any other way. Um, and and the, it's also the very big ones, and where you talk to this uh, solution engineer, or the very small ones that you talk to the CTO. But I, I really value this this relationship. It's, I think it's really important in order not to get to this point that you're describing, uh, which really scares me. And I think that also, did you hear that um, data engineering podcast? They, they had this really cool episode where they like uh, summarized 2020, 2021, right? We're 2022 now. Yeah. So they, they had this a bunch of vendors like uh, on the panel and they talked about like how the data vendors community, it's, uh, I don't remember if they call it a community, but said that like everyone are really like, like nice to each other. So they don't want to build like a solution that's better than anyone else's, they're going to build something that's slightly different then. And you don't have this one better solution. You, you just don't have it. You can have something that's a little different. It's still not what I want, but there's something a little different, but that's not what I want either. I just want this to be better. Can you make it better? So yeah, I th- they, it, it was funny. I think the way they described it from their point of view. And and, and there's just been so much money that's flowing into it that at some point there is an addressable market. And so when that addressable market is kind of reached, you know, it's right now, it's kind of a, a data gold rush where everybody's like running out there and just going, okay, there's so much green space out here. But as soon as that, that's not really the case, you're going to see a lot more uh, kind of cutthroat competition. I've already heard of, of, of uh, a lot of vendors doing some somewhat uh shady things already so i think it's, it's gonna get worse but. okay <laughs> <laughs> can't say it out loud on, on exactly the podcast but, um, <laughs> but so another aspect of building this this 
platform is the UX, right? So there's the UX for the data producers and the data consumers. So you, you've talked about that you're you're not exposing the tooling, which is to me is just like it, it feels like it should be an obvious thing, but it's not for a lot of folks because they haven't thought about you know or, or you have people that are building the data platform that are very very data people themselves, so they're they're comfortable with the data consumer user experience and they're comfortable building that out. But once you start to to try and push that user experience to the uh, data producers, if they don't have that embedded analytics engineer model, like the software engineers, they they work so, so differently. So if you're exposing just DBT to them or things like that, they're like, I, I don't like, if, if you ask them to write a YAML, they're going to say, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to deal with a YAML. Yeah. So like, how do you think about that on both aspects to make sure you're, you're solving that and, and evolving towards a better solution? Okay, cool. That's a good question. I think that like in general, our job as, as data infrastructure engineers is to sell our products. We, we need people to use them because if they don't use it, no one needs us, right? We just waste money, lots of money. And I think like if, if I think about like the life cycle we had uh, and like the journey we had with our platform, it wasn't like super self-service initially uh, but we we were there at the right time to to give like a solution that that like the full stack engineers the data producers as you call them actually needed like it was like a critical need and that's where like we we that's where we started like working together like okay wow you, you got stuff that i actually need okay just teach me like okay i need to use it um and as time passes um, and, and people understand that, okay, they need a data platform, but it just gets too complicated. They can't wrap their heads around like all this, as I said before, like multiple contexts and like, where does this come from and and where does it go and how do I configure it? And and also like, you know, for us, that that's the day-to-day, right? But for an, a, like a random engineer, he can build a pipeline one pipeline like in every few months or something like that. So uh, if the infrastructure is not something that can be easily adopted, they will just won't use it over time. Um, so this that's where, where all the, the UX comes into mind. And like, I think that we, we bring in a lot of technologies, but we always wrap wrap them with, it doesn't have to be something fancy, right? I, I Unfortunately, I can't say that we have like an actual UI to expose but we always build some kind of CLI around the tooling that we bring in. We always have, uh, I don't know if it's like generators or, or uh, different flows that you can like uh, kick services with, or it can also be, I don't know, a Jenkins job that can trigger a whole pipeline with like multiple microservices along the way. Um, but we don't really want the, the developers to, to interact with the actual under the hood Technologies and even if you speak about DBT, where, where I think we pushed it like the furthest in terms of like user experience. Um, so so yeah, we built the CLI and and you, you don't have to create the YAML. No one wants to create that YAML. Uh, data engineers don't want to create that YAML either. So we <laughs> we have this these CLI commands where you can import 
you can import um, data sources from the data catalog from, from the Metastore into DBT. And then we auto-generate these YAML files and, and placeholder for the documentation that you with references that you can fill in yourself if you want, when you want. And we generate all the, the different files that you have to create in DBT. And, and this is like all happening with lots of magic. Uh, but lets you focus on like the real stuff, right? You want to write business logic and even let's say I want to push data quality real hard. I really believe in data quality. I think it will be like uh, after we we invested so much in data quality and in, in like the previous infrastructure that we used for, for data modeling, which is an open source, by the way, that we built ourselves um, before DBT was created, I really want to preserve this. I want people to write data tests. I want them to to, to create mock testing and I want them to write DQ checks. Um, so I have to make this really, really fun to 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 do, right? I want to make this something that is super casual and, and you don't get stuck over. So we work on like what would be the easiest way to generate those tests and, and how can we make the user want to use it, right? Um, and it's also around like... The, the development environment, right? Also like staging environments for data. It's, it's also something so complicated to, to come up with. How can you test your, your data pipelines? So these are all stuff that we invest a lot of thinking around. And and yeah, I think that eventually it, you, you get this back with like adoption and, and happy people. Uh, and it's also, by the way, it's something that's quite easy to measure. I, I, Unfortunately, I don't really do that, but an architect from from Yapo just told me that like we actually need to do this to to have these KPIs in place to see like how well is the data platform adopted, like how many pipelines are created uh, a day, okay, or or how many failures do we have, or uh, how cost trends, or how many access uh, to to the catalog are are being done, or you know tons of metrics can, that can help you understand like how well is the platform adopted. Yeah. And, and uh, you, you said something that I think um, if I could sum it up, which was um, I just want to make sure that I got this in, in the right framing, which is the general job of, of data platform folks is to drive usage because that means creating value, right? If you, you do need to make it that you, that the usage does drive value, but you need to be, you know, selling versus driving usage versus, you know, selling can sometimes feel like it's, okay, I'm, I need to go out there and put on a show versus I need to create something that people want to use. But like driving that usage is what creates the value. And so how do you drive that usage? You, you meet them where they are and you help or you meet them, you start with meeting them where they are and you help them move along further to drive more value. And so like that they don't have to, to learn a ton of new things, but that they can learn those things if it's like, okay, this is going to extend your value and stuff. I, I think that's, I think that's a really, it's, it, it's one of those things that I don't think people say often enough of like, Hey, our, our data platform team is about driving usage, right? Like it's about making sure that people actually leverage this, not just building cool stuff. Technologists <laughs> want a technology. They want to build cool stuff. Yeah. But. Yeah. 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 You sometimes catch yourself. I remember like, I don't know, a few years ago we, we, we get caught up with, like, oh, this is so cool, but 
is there a use case? Do do we have actually like have a design partner for this? It's nice that it's cool, but like seriously, people, <laughs> we need to do something for someone here, which is not us. Yeah, yeah. Um, being in data stacks and kind of the initial rise of NoSQL uh, back in the the early uh, 2010s there were so many people that were just like, I want to use Cassandra. I want to use MongoDB. I want to use these, these things. Uh, I want to use Hadoop. I want to use uh, uh, you know, the initial rise of Spark. And I was like, well, but what, what are you actually using it for? What are you trying to drive value with instead of, do you just want to play with something new? And if you want to play with something new, great. Like uh, th- that kind of 20% of time or whatever towards innovation and, and whatever that Google did for a while, while would be awesome. But like, you do kind of have to have that, that focus. For sure. And you know, it's, it's also, I think that like you talked about innovation, it, it sounds like maybe like very pragmatic all I'm saying, but I think that in our position, we need to drive the infrastructure forward. And we, we, we constantly need to talk to our users and to understand like what are their needs, what what do they need now, what are they going to need in six months or, or twelve months, uh, and this is like our job to have the technology at hand. We have to be updated. We have to know like where the market is going, what new stuff are out there because because like we talked about before, the time to market like it's not to market but time to production right. If you adopt something new or, or you run a POC and, and then you, you, like up to the point that we actually have like stuff running in production, it can take a really long time. It depends on where does the solution sit inside the, the architecture and, and, and it doesn't really, well, it could be open source. It could be something that you built yourself or something that you, you adopt like uh, as a managed service, but it takes time and you, and you need to be ready. So sometimes you have to make this uh, decision that, okay, I, I think this is something people are going to, to want. I think this is something people are going to need. Uh, so there always has to be some percent set aside for, for people to invest in, in innovation and understanding like what's going on in the world and life, like what's the big thing. All the stuff you talked about, it, it turned out to be big, big like years later, right? Um, so you can you can keep up or you can stay behind, but you have to make this, those like, Actually, it's gambles, right? Because you won't always gamble on the right thing, but sometimes you will, and then it, it's cool when when the gamble meets like the actual need. That's where you win. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you're you're like people say that you're betting on the future, and it's like exactly, literally the like sometimes they don't pay off, and it's fine. Like you 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 know you want to make an informed you know gamble or betting decision, but at the same point. Sometimes they don't pay off and that's fine. Um, you know, Sadie Martin on, on her call um, had talked about that, you know, one of the big things that that she's pushed for for KPIs is how many hypotheses have they proven either valid or invalid? Not how many did they did they prove valid? Because if they're able to get to a better answer quicker that's much higher value than just saying okay we're going to we're going to only test these 3 because we think that they're they're valid so we're only going to test these 3 so we're going to spend all of our time making sure that we only do valid tests you know this is kind of one of those things that that happens with a lot of um uh like university research yeah. of like they they're going for grant money but they've already proven that 
this is is true. And so then they're just going for the grant money to get enough to, to get the study that's large enough to to essentially finish out the proof. And so um, is that is that innovation value? No. And so like, how do we how do we incent that innovation? Um, so we've covered a whole lot of different things. We, we, we were talking about maybe covering as well the uh, developer experience and actually producing data products. And, and what is a data developer? Like, this is different at a lot of different companies. Some people are using the embedded analytics engineer. Some people are using, um, just trying to have the software engineers do this. Like, how how have you, you know, it, it ties into that self-service that we were just talking about. Like, how do you make it truly self-service and, and who are you serving, right? Because I think that's that's an important thing. Yeah. Um, okay, so so the way like my group is part of the like the infrastructure group in the R and D, and uh, the data I used to call it data engineers until I understand it's it's probably better to call it data infra engineers or data platform engineers uh, to make this more like precise because like my team does not really build data pipelines. Well, they do sometimes, but it's it's in very specific cases, but. We focus on, on building this data infrastructure and, and building out and expanding the, the data platform in, in terms of capabilities and, and services that we offer. And the, the data users are a wide range of uh, like different functionalities within their organization. And also, there is a difference between like a data producer, as you said, and the data consumer, right? So... Basically, data consumers would be everyone um, because you have data consumers, which are like the full stack developers and the product managers and other like domains in the business or um, like virtually everyone are, are data consumers, the output. But then you have like different layers of where you consume your data from, right? Because if you are equipped with SQL knowledge, then you use like Databricks or different databases to, to, to query the data. If you do not, then you probably use all sorts of applications that we build or um, BI tools or visualization tools to like, whether it's like dashboards or reporting or whatever. We also have data consumers, which are external, um, external B2B uh, users. And they would also probably use like embedded dashboards within our like B2B uh, system. So that's on the consumer side. And then it really varies in terms of like how knowledgeable they are with data tooling. Um, but probably the more complicated part would be the data producers. Um, and they also vary. We have uh, BI developers uh, and we have uh, full stack developers. And we also have like a few data producers around like solution engineering and parts of like the wider YAPO, which are more technical. Um, so BI engineers on one hand would be people that are very comfortable around data, right? They're very proficient with SQL, but they don't feel like very like well oriented around like code that's other than SQL and uh, YAML, YAML files. No, no one likes them. But on the other hand, when you have the the full stack developers and they're like very tech and very proficient, but not like feeling so comfortable around data. Some of them don't really know SQL that way, by the way. Um, so we have to create this infrastructure that basically applies to everyone and that every, all these different types of people 
uh, with different um, positions in the company can create data pipelines and, and like use the platform for whatever it is that they need. Um, and first of all, it's not only tooling, right? It's also education and, and, and knowledge management. And we, we just started using Backstage, if you know, if you know it, in, in Yapo, uh, to help like manage our internal. It's really cool. It's, uh, it's really nice. But to help like manage the internal data, uh, because eventually we, we can't really teach everyone face to face, right? They have to to use uh, readmes, and they have to use like uh, videos that we prepare and and uh, workshops that we give, and and this is part of part of like onboarding people. Um, but mostly, yeah, if if the infrastructure itself is is easy to use, uh, then then that's probably the scalable way to to have people use the platform and by the way sql is like the choice of using sql is probably the, the like the the biggest uh like common denominator for for all of these people um so it's also a choice that we made whether it's now with dbt or the previous infrastructure that we used so it's the tooling it's the languages that you use it's it's all those uh, uh auto-generated pipelines that uh, we create for them it's it's encapsulating multiple services within this single facade of things. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of work in, in getting this thing to, to like become really self-service and create this developer experience that we're talking about. Yeah, I think it's funny because uh, a lot of what you just said also really echoes um, what obviously Asylum had said about what, what they're doing at Flexport of... Um, that it's just all dbt and and snowflake um because they just went well everybody needs to learn sql if they don't know it and we'll we'll we'll, we'll teach these people you know they're they're embedding analytics engineers into their domains and they're saying we'll teach these people if they don't know it but we just want this one um this one language which you're not maximizing your value of your data mesh, your data products by only doing SQL, but you are making potentially the trade-off for complication of your platform, complication of um, the consumer experience and things like that. So is that good enough? I, I think, you know, Jamak would, would say no, but she's talking about data mesh is, is kind of data mesh as she's you know, talked about it and everything versus the way a lot of people are applying it. Data mesh is for these 25,000, 50,000 type person companies. If you're not at a 10,000 person type company, the way that she's she's laid it all out, it's probably overkill. So exactly what you, you kind of talked about that build versus buy. And it's kind of, you need to figure out where you're going to go with this stuff. But, you know, talk desk, when they talked about theirs, um, when Jose Cabedo was talking about uh, TalkDesk implementation, all of their data products are only tables or views. They are not full data sets. And they're very, very consumer aligned use cases and, and things like that. They're kind of specific to, you know, you want that reusability, but they're very specific to a uh, consumer wants this and we're not, we're not making this so that you can data spelunk. And that's a value to them at this point as they're growing towards it. And I think 
that's where a lot of people go down rabbit holes because a lot of what you've talked about is is like being pragmatic and and I think the people who are having success with data mesh are pragmatic right? <laughs> like it's, it's this thing of you know do you want to have this like perfect vision uh and I think you said this even at the very beginning of like Actually, there's a phrase in English of where the rubber meets the road, you know, like you can have this beautiful, beautiful car and it can be, you know, this amazing thing. But if you go out onto the the road and it can't drive around, it's not of use. So you've got to you've got to design for where you are and, and design for where you're going to be, but not but balance that that everywhere. So I think. That, that's something that's been a through line through, I think, everything you've talked about is this pragmatism and being like, hey, yes, we want to play with the cool stuff, but usage is what matters and, and <laughs> serving value is what matters. So um, so I, I think this, is, this has been great and I think it'll be very useful for, for a lot of people. Um, we covered a lot of stuff. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you think is really important or any, any summation thing that you'd want to kind of, if, if people are trying to build out their platform, is there any like summation advice that you'd kind of give them? Um, I can share that. I think that it really depends on, like, I think that maturity is, is probably a key factor in, in like architecting a data platform. It really depends on like, how does the, how does the like data market look like uh, when, when you start and and how old is is your platform and and like how many like how many you like live use cases you have for the data platform these are all like considerations that you have to think about because it could be like if if we started everything tomorrow we would probably use different technologies and we we might have made like different choices than the ones that we had done before but as you said before i think that like many things in life, right? It, it it it's not that it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be perfect. There's no like one one right solution, and and especially like there's no one right solution. Like it, it's different per per company. Per like it depends on 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 the people, and and depends on the business, and depends on uh, on so many factors. So the 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 market is swamped with solutions and it's really hard to make these decisions. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's like no, no like one right way to go. Like you can take five different turns, like on, on each, each crossroad and probably two of them would be just fine. They would be cool. <laughs> you can go for it and you, and you can fix stuff along the way, but it's really important to like have a vision and 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 to keep driving the platform forward and not not to stagnate where you stand and and keep your eyes open and don't be scared to to change things because you built so much. I'm saying this to convince myself, right? But <laughs> <laughs> I, I really think I think it's it's important. Yeah, I think um, I think that kind of be kind to yourself. You, you didn't exactly say it, but I think that's that's what I was getting from you of be kind to yourself that this is difficult. It's not it's difficult. It is. <laughs> set yourself up to be able to make those changes. But yeah, yeah Sarita Basks had also, you made a, a, a point in there about um, it's all dependent or it's dependent as well on not just the tools, but like 
who is there. And she, she made the, the call of, well, this one domain, there's one person who really, really gets governance. And so I'm much more comfortable decentralizing a lot more of the governance into that team because that person really, really knows it or really sees a lot of value. And so they're, they're making their, their team really understand governance. So I'm willing with that team to give them a lot more, um, you know, a lot more leeway in, in what they're going to do. So I, I think that's important too of, of, and, and that, you know, you're, you make decisions on the information you have, try and make yourself informed, but you're, you, you can't be perfectly informed and you can't make a perfect decision. So be kind to yourself. <laughs> be kind to yourself. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. I love that. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like we should all just have that on our screen, that that's what pops <laughs> up whenever we, we start up our computer. Um, but so, so th- this has been super, super awesome. Um, if people want to follow up with you, where is the best place and, and what do you want people following up with you about? Um, I think LinkedIn would probably be the best place to look me up. So Doron Porat uh, from Yalpo, you, you can, you can, you can say hi. I'll, I'll drop the link in the show notes. Yay. <laughs> And also for, for uh, Israeli people in the crowd, I also have a podcast that you can listen to. And we, we also have our own uh, email address. It's called, uh, in English, it's uh, the data swamp. but but And that's the email address too. But we're called, uh, I'll say it in Hebrew, okay? It's called Bitsata Data. That's data swamp in Hebrew. So you can check it out <laughs> wherever you get your podcast. And yeah, we talk a lot about data and data infra. And yeah. That's where you you can find me. <laughs> okay, I'll drop a link uh, to that stuff as well in the show notes. So, well, again, this has been so great and just a, a fun chat. So, I really want to thank you for spending the time, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Doran Prat, who's a data infrastructure leader at Yatpo. Uh, Doran had uh, mentioned a few different resources, and you can find links to those in the show notes as well as her LinkedIn as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one off or a month to month basis. You know, read kind of Throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.